0: Would you take it back if you could? Now, be honest with me, because I feel that you're conflicted a little bit. I don't know, you know,
1: I mean, if the same thing happened again, like, if it was any other circumstance, and the same thing happened, I I don't know. You might do it again, or whatever. Well, you know, I might, but I might not.
2: I'm Yardley,
3: and I'm Zibby. And we're fascinated by true crime.
2: So we invited our friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to
3: sit down with us and share their most interesting cases.
4: I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins, and we're detectives in small town USA. Dave investigates sex crimes and child abuse. Dan investigates violent crimes. And together, we've worked on hundreds of cases, including assaults, robberies, murders, burglaries, sex abuse, and child abuse. Names, locations, and certain details of these cases have been altered to protect the privacy of the victims and their families.
2: This crime tells the story of a couple, Lynn and Alan. Lynn was an attractive 26-year-old female. She was passionate about horses and paid for the boarding of her animals by working at the local barn. Allen was a 32-year-old male who enjoyed sports and tailgating at football games. Both Lynn and Allen worked at a metal fabrication company, and every Wednesday night the two traditionally played board games with their best friends, who were also a couple. However, fairly early on during Lynn and Alan's relationship, signs of trouble began to surface, which led to them being on again, off again for a period of time, and ultimately to a final breakup in the fall of 2013. This time, Lynn moved out of their shared house. Afterward, a girlfriend of Lynn's described her as having a new optimism. She said her friend was bubbly and more talkative and expressed how happy she was to finally be free of their relationship. Alan, on the other hand, wasn't ready to let go so easily. His friend described him as being depressed and deeply desirous of a reconciliation. In the weeks and days leading up to the crime, Alan sent countless text messages to Lynn pleading with her to spend time together but she was unresponsive and unenthusiastic. Finally, three weeks after the breakup, Lynn agreed to meet up with him. According to his best friend, Alan saw this as an opportunity to win Lynn over and get back together with her. On the flip side, Lynn's girlfriend told her that she thought meeting up with Alan was a bad idea and over Facebook Messenger offered to hang out with her that night instead. 4.15
3: p.m. On the same day Alan and Lynn were slated to meet for dinner, Alan purchases flowers, scarves, candles, and a card at Walmart. 7.15 p.m. Alan and Lynn eat dinner at a local restaurant, which Alan chose. Lynn paid the bill. 8.45 p.m. Alan and Lynn leave the restaurant to return to Alan's place, which used to be their shared house. The scarves he purchased earlier now hang on individual hooks on the wall above the bed. Rose petals create a trail from the front door to the bedroom. It's there that the two talk about their relationship and the prospect of reconciliation. They become intimate and eventually fall asleep. 108 a.m. Lynn's cell phone receives a text.
4: So, phone goes off, Lynn's asleep, and Alan sees the phone light up the room, uh, goes over to the phone to check out what kind of incoming message or incoming call she's receiving, and sees that it's a text message from uh, one of Lynn's male friends. She had just begun reconnecting with old friends uh, that she wasn't allowed to have while she's in a relationship with Alan. So over the previous few days, she's experiencing uh, more frequent contact with her friends and the text message at 108 says, sleep well. This prompts Alan to take her phone into the other room. He starts reviewing other text messages that she's received. It becomes clear to him that she's not interested in reconciliation based on the conversation she's having with other people. And this throws Alan into a little bit of a tailspin. He's upset. He's got an aluminum baseball bat handy in the living room, retrieves that returns to the bedroom where Lynn is sleeping and proceeds to bludgeon her to death by hitting her in the head multiple times with a baseball bat. So Alan realizes what he's done and that he's going to be in some trouble and needs to uh, figure out what he's going to do. He takes some of the rose petals, scatters them over Lynn's body. There's a toolbox nearby on the floor on Lynn's side of the bed, he grabs a razor, starts uh, trying to slit his wrist to kill himself. At that point, he's bleeding uh, pretty steadily. Once we got to the crime scene, it was pretty clear that he had stood over her body and was bleeding onto her body.
2: On purpose?
4: Uh, you'd have to get into his, his head to to understand, but it's, it's clear from her wounds that— The blood on the rest of her body is not hers, likely. Uh, There's a handprint in the blood on her hip. Um, Everyone at the scene believed that those are Allen's handprints smeared on her body. Uh, There's a blood trail that goes from the bedroom out into the hardwood flooring of of the hallway, out into the living room. There's paper towels that are covered in blood, kind of throughout this trail where he's trying to staunch the bleeding on his arm. Alan calls his mom at some point. It's probably 20, 25 minutes after he's uh, committed the murder.
5: At post-murder, pre-suicide attempt, or?
4: Uh, this is after the suicide attempt, is okay. our thought. So he's been bleeding for a while. What's interesting is later on I contact ER staff where Alan had ended up, uh, and I I asked the the doctor who treated Alan, I said, so this suicide attempt, if you had to give it a grade A to F, where would you put it? And he says, just flatly, no affect, he says, it's a D minus. Wow. As in, he wasn't really committed to this. I think it's more melodrama and make me look like the victim. I'm in this huge, desperate—
5: It was calculating uh, in that uh, sense.
4: Right, right. pretty pathetic attempt at suicide. He calls his mom. She comes over to the house, realizes that Lynn's car is parked out front. She's aware of what's going on in their relationship and what's not going on in their relationship. The so mom is. The mom is. She sees the car. She kind of queries her son. "What What's going on? Says, where's Lynn? And Alan says, don't go in there. I don't want you to see what happened in there.
5: Now, but, wait, I have a question. Sure. He called mom and was... Like what? What did he say? What does he say to get it's her over the, there?
4: It's one in the morning. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one thirty-five probably when the start the the calls start rolling. I and, know what my mom would say. What's wrong?
5: Right.
4: Right. Right. So, right. So there's several calls to the mom between one thirty-five and one forty a.m. You know, missed call, return call missed. I'm thinking he's. Pretty busy dealing with his own issues at that point. But at some point, they connect, and Mom decides to come over. Does What's he interesting, say, I
5: tried to kill myself, Mom? Like?
4: Uh, not at that point. Um, he he tells his mom he needs a ride to the hospital. What's interesting is the hospital's three blocks away from his house. She sees his condition when she arrives at the scene. She sees that he's got bloody wrists. Uh, she also sees Lynn's car out front and says, where is she? He tells her, don't go inside, makes another, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, I'm going away for a long time. Don't go in the house. Mom goes right past him, goes to the back bedroom, sees uh, what kind of condition she's in, and turns around. I'm sure has a what-the-hell moment with her son, but they get into the car. She drives him to the hospital. He goes in to get... um, evaluated right at the front desk. They take him into a triage station. The nurse there asks him, you know, what's going on with your wrists? And he confesses that he had just killed his girlfriend. To the nurse.
2: When does the police get called yeah. to come and investigate this homicide?
4: So he got to the hospital a little bit after 2 a.m. Um, so,
2: so almost like about an hour after he's bludgeoned his girlfriend to death.
4: Right at maybe 210215 15, uh, the hospital calls the police department and says this is what this guy just came in with he's presented at the ER with slit wrists he's also making some statements about killing his girlfriend told us the address where it is and how what kind of condition you'll find her in but so
5: why didn't mom see Lynn's condition and call the police and call herself. the police
3: didn't she know Lynn was dead and also if she didn't clearly Lynn's not okay, so that's strange to me.
4: Mom's still at the hospital with her son there, and uh, when—so two things happen simultaneously. We send an officer to the hospital to deal with Alan. Uh, At the same time, once we've gathered and gleaned enough info to figure out where this address is, we send two more officers to this house to do a welfare check at the house. So our officer at the hospital is speaking to Alan and his mother— and trying to get more info. Uh, At that time, the mother denies going inside the house. She says she didn't see anything inside the house. She just knows that her son has slit wrists, and she needed to get him to the hospital. So So she's protecting. She's protecting. She's trying to cover for him. Um, Later on, she comes off that story, and she says, okay, yeah, I was inside. I checked her out. Um, She had initially said, oh, yeah, you know, she's alive as far as I know. But it's pretty clear by, you know, by the time that I got to the scene, it's pretty obvious what condition this young lady is in and that she had suffered a pretty violent uh, death. And so we're dealing with mom who's covering for son. We're dealing with son who's got his own issues with his bloody wrists, um, the D-minus his effort.
5: D-minus, yeah. All right. <laughs> his-
4: once our officers get out to the house, uh, they see rose petals that are tracked all the way out to the the walkway up to the, the porch. They look into the window, uh, see that there's blood and rose petals on the hardwood floor in the living room, and they lead back to this area, to a back hallway. Uh, they can't see the bedroom that's involved, but they make the decision, we're going to go inside and check to see if what this guy's telling us is accurate.
5: Those rose petals were about anticipating her coming back after dinner because he wanted to reconcile the relationship. So this was like an act of romance, right? It was like a trail leading to romantic possibilities, and then it turned out to be a trail leading to the most tragic scene. Right.
2: And what 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 can you tell us about the scarves? I know in the report it says he bought rose petal scarves Candles are obvious. What's the scarves?
4: So I think they're just decorative, thinking I'll kind of class it up, class the bedroom up. So he's got like no bed frame. He's got like the college.
2: Oh, is this like a mattress on the floor?
4: Yeah. Box box spring and mattress. He buys, you know, the little curtain hooks. Four of those. He bought four scarves. uh, As my recollection, he ties the scarves up on each of these hooks that are kind of in a little uh, diagonal or a triangle type. Above the bed? Evenly spaced.
2: Oh. Do you uh, think yeah. that explains the toolbox in the bedroom? Because I find that's a very odd detail. I don't personally keep a toolbox in my bedroom. Well, my
4: bedroom. I think that if I was trying to make it as as uh, clean and and classy as he was attempting to do, that maybe the toolbox leaves the bedroom or gets put away in a, in a closet. Yeah. Uh, I'm I not see. sure this guy is the caliber of person to have that kind of depth. What was your impression of Alan? Uh, I was— Thoroughly unimpressed with the man. So they they follow this trail of blood and rose petals back to this bedroom. And uh, even after I got there, it was easy to see from 20 feet away, down the hallway, what we were going to encounter. So our officers went in there, checked on her um, condition. It's clear she's deceased. Uh, even had medics come in to see if there's anything they can do. Um, typically, when medics feel like there's a, a possibility, they'll transport. Um, when it's clear that somebody is beyond help, they just walk back out. And that and at that point, it's a crime scene, and, and we own it. We lock it down, control all access. And that's the point when the watch commander or the sergeant who, who was actually on that welfare check who went to the house, he calls my sergeant who's a detective and says, we're going to need you guys to come in. We got a murder.
5: Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
4: So my phone goes off at, I don't know, 2.45, 3 o'clock in the morning. And it was kind of odd. I remember that, that night... Um, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I remember telling her earlier that night that I feel like my phone's going to ring tonight. I have a work phone, and then I have a personal phone, and the work phone's got a pretty distinct ringer. Uh, It's loud enough that, you know, it's going to wake me up. And that was one of those nights where I just had a feeling my phone's going to ring. It's odd. I've had it a few times in my career. It's kind of an odd night. So
2: Is that common with... uh police officers, and detectives who've been on the force for a while, do you develop that sixth sense? Uh, I,
4: th- I think you do at some point. I mean, there's been other times where I didn't expect my phone to go off at all, and then, you know, my sergeant has he's a great guy to work for. I'd run through a, you know, a hail of bullets to, uh, to help him out with anything, but he has um, a very dry and flat way of delivering info. Mm-hmm. It's not a... Non-emotional, But his standard when he calls me is, hey, what are you doing? And my reply is always, I'm getting ready to go to work, I'm guessing. Yep, this is where I need you to go. This is what we've got. So that night it was, we've got a guy who murdered his girlfriend. Looks like he used a baseball bat. Uh, he's at the police station. Need you to go to the police station and we'll start coordinating what we're going to do. So my... My job that night was to go out to the scene, take a real quick look at the scene to see what we're dealing with, go back to the police station, and start writing a search warrant. So we'd write a search warrant for the residents, for cell phones, because we want to see what kind of communications are going on.
5: See, I would have thought my layman brain would have been like, well, there's obviously a crime that's been committed. Like, who needs a search warrant? You, this is, everything's in the hands of the law now. Why do you have to get a search warrant for
3: something like that?
4: Suspect has a uh, expectation of privacy. Uh, that's his residence. So, um,
3: even if he's a killer,
4: even killers have rights. We're all sworn to uphold the Constitution, so we're not. You know, we want to do everything by the book, do it right, have a judge bless it. That way, when we go in, we know that we are covered. We've covered all of our bases, and we're doing it the right way. And you know, in this situation, they've uh, patrol officers who first respond after hearing what. Alan has to say at the hospital, they have a responsibility to go in and check to make sure that if someone's injured inside that, that we can get them care or, you know, obviously the other end of that is she's deceased and everybody backs out.
5: And how long does a search warrant take to get? Cause in the movies it takes a long time and everyone's under pressure and like the lead guy's frustrated that the judge won't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs>
4: right. So there's two pieces to that. You've got to get a, um, uh, Typically, the district attorney's office will have an on-call attorney who's ready, who's on the – they call it the homicide pager. So if we have a homicide, we page them, and they get in contact with us so we get them on board really quickly because I know that any legal process, like a search warrant affidavit, I have to get that blessed by – The district attorney's office. They're the lawyers. They're the the smart people in this process. So we get that blessed by them before I can go to a judge's house in the middle of the night and have the judge sign it. So in this case, uh, I get called in at 3 a.m., The search warrant's finally signed at 7.30 a.m.
5: Wow. And in the meantime, no one's in the house anymore. Like, once you figure out what the deal is, everyone has to leave and not touch anything. Right. Right. We've got— The body's uh, still there and everything.
4: Yeah, we'll have a patrol officer there securing the scene. The rest of us are kind of doing, not to say busy work, but trying to get all of our other ducks in a row so when it's time to go to the house and and begin the search, that we're all on the same page, that we all can focus on that task rather than kind of— Trying to do other other things that are maybe less important than gathering our evidence. Uh, at the same time, we're also trying to contact next of kin, track them down because we've got to deliver a death notification, Ugh. which is one of the worst things. And one of the worst things in in our career is telling somebody that their loved one died. It's it's horrible. I hate doing it.
3: And it's, do
5: you disclose the the way? Like in this case, I don't know. I don't know that you were the one that gave. <laughs>
4: I'm not the one who gave the death notification in this case. Uh, the detective who did is squared away. Try to be as compassionate and thoughtful as you can. And direct. And direct. You don't say they are gone. You don't say they passed away. You say they are dead. Because a lot of times people, I've I've seen another officer do a death notification where they said um, they passed. And the person's looking at them kind of confused, like, what do you mean they passed? You know, they've passed. They're gone. Well, where'd they go? Hey, buddy, just tell them what's going on because now their wheels are turning and it this is going to be torturous. And in the long run, people actually appreciate you being direct.
5: Of course. Like if you can withstand your own discomfort enough to give somebody the courtesy, but that's not an easy thing. That's not a natural.
4: It's horrible. Thing. Yeah.
5: And are you allowed to say they were murdered?
4: We Try to control as much info up front as possible. Uh, We're certainly not going to be trying to conceal anything, but we'll let them know that it was what we believe has happened. But we don't give out a whole lot of specifics. We let them know that they're going to be one of the first people to receive info as we gather it, Uh, try to be compassionate and considerate of what the victim's family is going through. So we want them to feel like we are advocating for them and that we're on their side, but it's tough. It, there's, there's times where you can't tell them everything. One part of you feels bad about it because you feel like you're uh, keeping info that this family so desperately wants, but the other time you're trying to protect the integrity of an investigation. That way, leaks don't come out, That details that only the suspect would know. Uh, you don't want those to be released.
2: Do you ultimately, when the case is adjudicated or it has come to its close, do families come back to you and say, I want all the details?
0: They do.
4: Uh, They do. Um, You know, I work sex crimes and child abuse. That's kind of my main focus. But certainly in a small department like we have, there are times where Dan and I would get called in and and we all work the murder together. You know, it's a nine, ten-person team. Going to tackle all the tasks that we have to do. Uh, so, there's times where in child sex abuse investigations where we get the child interviewed, I let the family know my standard voice track is I'll tell you as much or as little information about what your child endured as you want to know. So, I leave it up to them. You know, I don't want to shock someone. I don't want...
5: Because you can't unhear. You can't people. unring
4: the bell. Sure. So there's times where parents like, tell me everything. There's other times where parents will cut you off. That's that's enough. I don't need to know anymore. There's other times where they're like, no, I trust you. Just go get him. So this is a case where uh, in the end, after this this case went to trial, so the family was present for the whole... The entirety of the trial. And one of the other issues we deal with now, especially with social media is if you give, you know, you may pick a family member to inform of these things, but a lot of times there's other close family in the periphery or, you know, within earshot and they can hear this information. And even though you warn these people, please do not go to social media and talk about what we're talking about. I'm trying, I'm trying to keep you informed first thing they do is they go straight to social media and they start talking about what we just told them. Keep to yourself.
3: And that that can
2: harm your entire- It's
4: It's absolutely the most frustrating thing to deal with.
2: Now my question is, if he's confessed to this crime, does he confess to you when you question him? And if so, I'm assuming it went to trial because ultimately he pleaded not guilty. Is that so?
4: He pled not guilty and tried a- A defense that's commonly referred to as extreme emotional disturbance, basically claiming that what he encountered when he saw this text message and reviewed the contents of her phone, that it drove him into this crime of passion, I couldn't control myself, and any other reasonable person under those circumstances would have committed the same act that he did. So he does confess to one of our salty old veteran cops who's since retired, uh, one of the best. If you watch this guy interview, he's just calm. Nothing ever shakes him. He's just... One of those guys where if I could watch 20 of his interviews just to practice, I'd say, give me 20 of of Don's interviews and I'll, I'll learn. Yeah, whenever I get a chance to listen to Don, I'm on the edge of my seat and I listen to every word he says.
2: And we actually have audio of that interview between Don and Alan. And then Don was kind enough to come down and talk to us about that interview. of fifty percent off your first subscription order at pros town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then fifty percent off at pros.com town. That's P-R-O-S E dot com town. Do it. Hey folks,
4: Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on SimpliSafe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Safe home security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. with Simply there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60-day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
2: Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's going to be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole-body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH-balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small-town fam, Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid-stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is SMALLTOWN. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code SMALLTOWN for 15% off your first purchase at LumiDeodorant.com. That's code SMALLTOWN at L-U-M-E Deodorant.com. Do it.
0: In this particular case, you're dealing with uh, folks that are much more mainstream than uh, a lot of our criminals. Uh, this guy had a job, uh, had a place to stay, was fairly articulate. And my main concern going into that interview was this guy's gonna try and formulate, or I'm, I don't wanna leave open the path for a mental defense. Uh, he's talking pretty freely about what he did. So that's not gonna really be the issue. Um, what's gonna be the issue is if I leave a path for a defense attorney to conjure up a mental defense down the road. So I'm looking forward to the trial already and figuring what I need to do to, to show that he isn't crazy. Uh, so when I go in and talk to him, um uh, he does answer my questions pretty clearly um, but that's really not so much the uh, the goal in this interview is uh, as just showing that this guy's a normal normal guy with normal anger issues that triggered uh, you know the murder of his girlfriend so we talked a little bit earlier about your relationship with how you'd been together for a while and then kind of broke up. Was tonight some type of, or I guess it would be last night, you know, uh, a get-back-together type date? Or how was it that she... It seemed like it was going that way. Was it planned? Like, did she come over to the house? Did you ask her, invite her over? Yeah. Uh, Yesterday I told her, you know,
1: not to make any plans for Friday or Saturday because I had made plans. and. Mm -hmm. You know, I did something special at the house for, her that I thought would be romantic, and we went out to a
0: really nice, expensive dinner. And was there some talk during dinner and stuff about you guys getting back together? I mean, I, I guess... So there was to... talk
1: about it being a date, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the whole night just kind of seemed that way, and just kind of seemed that way, and we ended up, after talking for a little bit, you know, we ended up having sex and falling asleep and then i woke up after i don't know probably 15 minutes of being asleep i don't know how long it was
0: and that's when you checked your phone kind of to just see where you guys really were in the relationship Mm -hmm. what's this guy's name do you know this guy's name that there was these texts yeah but i mean I don't know if it's really
1: worth throwing it in there. Okay,
0: but you you knew who he was, kind of.
1: I never met him, but I knew who he
0: was. Yeah, for sure. How did she know him? Do you know
1: that was just a work uh,
0: relationship?
1: She she danced a lot. She had she knew several different kinds of dance, um, and he was part of one of those dance worlds, like uh, dance group, or she just like to go out and dance at clubs or like dance groups, like swing dance, oh. tango, ballroom, salsa. Yeah.
2: He's He's so nonchalant. It's um it's it's hard to understand. What's your interview strategy with a guy like that?
0: You always steer the the interview yourself. You never allow the bad guy to lead the interview. Never. Now you may let them think they are if you <laughs> think that that's beneficial to you, but they have to understand that you know, I'm in charge and if he's Going to answer questions with uh, a non truth, a lie, then I don't want to hear it. I want to hear the truth. Had you guys ever had uh, problems before in your relationship where you guys fought or things of that nature? I mean,
1: we would fight, but nothing violent or anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Not even like name calling. We didn't do that to each other. So, had you ever caught her and maybe other relationship involvements before? I mean, I, I guess my question is, why was it such a dramatic response by you last night? I don't know. Because yeah. nothing like that's ever happened before, nor even close to happening. Before. No. I've never heard anybody before, physically. Yeah. <clears throat> so, were your, I guess, your emotions... Got the rest of up. yeah, for sure. And and you said she was asleep when you hit her. Yeah. So she didn't. You didn't confront her. Did you guys argue? They were apparently. What you're saying, no argument. No, we talked about the one guy, the the other guy, and you
1: know, I kind of let that go, you know, and then you know, I looked at her phone and found out that there was yeah another guy. I mean, it sucks when, you know. You're trusting somebody and they're telling you that they that he can trust them and that nothing's happening and something's happening, you know? Makes you wonder how long it was. So
0: you felt betrayed? Oh, yeah, for sure. But I don't know. I wish I wouldn't have looked at her phone. Have you been treated for mental health issues since
1: then? I was thinking about going back because I... I'd noticed, and this didn't have anything to do with, but I noticed that I just, um, my attitude would just switch on and off as far as like, especially anger, and frustration, and you know, I didn't know if that could be a case of being like bipolar or what. So I was gonna go have have a look at me, but you know, I didn't really have any money. Mm-hmm. I've mean, had any money for a long time, and then you know. Moved out, and I wasn't spending any money because I was going to have to support the house on my own. So I didn't have any money to go see him. now. How much rent do you have to pay there? Well, it's 700 but we've always paid late, so it's $750. Mm-hmm. What kind of money do you make at your job? $1,325. That's not too bad. Doesn't go that far, though. Not for what I do there. <laughs> no. What do you do, by the way? Uh... I'm a quality control supervisor, um, receiving clerk, and just about everything else. Mm. So I get quite a bit of responsibility. I do, I do, and I'm severely underpaid. I had a, I think I had a drinking problem that some didn't like, um, but I kind of got that under wraps for the most part. There were times where I would drink a lot, with shit, but like I said, there was no like violence or anything.
0: Just venting your anger on inanimate type things Mm -hmm. or any did you have issues with that relatively recently venting yeah Yeah. Yeah. when you guys split up yeah what did that entail
1: throwing things at walls and I think I broke a glass window
0: as a matter of fact I felt like I made a terrible error in this case because I walked in And after identifying myself, I I commented to him. I said, Man, things were terrible tonight. You know, how did it get so far? And his first response to me goes, No, things were going really good. It's like, Oh, he's rocking me back a little bit. And I immediately just said, I know they were. How did it end up like this? And he, yeah, well, I'll tell you, and you know, and here's the story. So I started off wrong, but we recovered. And again, it wasn't so much what he did, but why he did it, how he did it, and if he was going to have a mental defense down the road. I didn't think he was certifiably crazy, and even that is. I've very rarely seen anybody who's really t- too crazy to understand they committed a crime if at all. Uh, but there's definitions by law that if they meet those criteria, they don't go to they don't go to a criminal trial. they get um, uh, sent to the state mental hospital and the board up there has complete control of them and the board can immediately turn around and say, oh, Okay, now you're healed and let them go. You know this was definitely
1: not planned. I can tell you that.
0: I mean, the whole thing was. Well, what would, how would you describe it? You went from a really nice, romantic evening, uh, intimate relationships. What? What? I guess what prompted you to even check the phone? Just self doubt or some?
1: Yeah, question just I mean, question you know, mind?
0: she she had already came clean about the one
1: guy. So I wanted to go in and see, you know, there's anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I had a feeling that there was, and there was. What did you see exactly? Just tests back and forth about sleeping together, waking up together, you know, being in love again. I didn't even know they were in love the
0: first time. So you saw that, and then that triggered your... How did you feel? Just super angry or what? It's hard to put into words how I felt. Well, try. I, let me, I want to hear, try and make me understand what was going on. Well, yeah, going. but I mean, everything I tell
1: you, you know, I mean, I, you know, this, my words to be used against me and I don't know well, if I'm the, using the, the thing right thing words, is, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, it seems like, here's my my thoughts on it. You seem like an intelligent guy. You seem like a likable guy. You may vent physically in inanimate ways, but never done anything like this. It's like, in my job, I'm just trying to figure out what the heck. What was that triggering point that caused this? I, you this know, spider? I just and obviously just, had the phone, and I and I can understand that. You you know, you guys are working to reconcile. And you're feeling like maybe your relationship is back on board, and then she's not being honest with you. I mean, she does tell you about this one other guy, but she's not telling you about this guy. Yeah, and. I assume you're checking her phone just for your own peace of mind to validate what I wanted yeah, I wanted to
1: believe her, mm-hmm. you know. I wanted to still trust her, you know. But um I found out that I couldn't. And mm-hmm. things probably would have been different if she was more honest with me the first time. I I mean that's all I can really say about that. But I guess I my question good, is I, for I don't feel good about what I did. Oh you
0: know? I, I... I don't believe you do, but I mean, did you read this and then it was just a rage incident or did you read it and then sit down and go, hmm, how am I going to do this? And, you know, oh, it was pretty much a rage incident. Just like from phone to, I mean, the bat, you didn't go down and at Walmart and go buy the bat. I assume it was something that was right there somewhere in the house or something. Yeah. And so it was r- readily accessible. But you didn't you did chose to, like, wake her up and discuss it with her or even confront her about it? It was just... No, I, I don't know. Well, Why didn't you do that? I didn't want to... Well, I don't know.
1: I, I didn't want to wake her up because she had to get up early, so... I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that.
0: Do you think it was just easier for you to do it when she was sleeping? Or you didn't want her to feel anything? Or well, I didn't want her to feel anything. I didn't want her to see me doing it,
1: you know? I mean, I didn't want to... We fell asleep on good terms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't want her to picture me as a monster. If there, you know, is an afterlife, and
0: she has to picture that. I don't really want her to see me that way. So she was asleep definitely when you hit her? Yeah. Was she... And I think I asked you... Would... You, you said she was, like, a, kind of on her side? I think so. And you hit her, what did you say, maybe four times or something maybe like four. that? All in On the head? Yeah. Okay. And the first blow you told me earlier you thought knocked her out? I was pretty sure. How do you know that? I mean, you're there. How
1: there you know? was no movement afterwards, you know? I mean, usually if it doesn't knock you out, you're going to be surprised and wake up. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Where did that blow hit her? I don't know. It was dark. Uh, so other than the head, you don't know what side of I'm pretty head. sure I only hit her in the head, but I'm pretty sure it was all in one side. One side of her head? Yeah. Which side would that be, Dan? The right. The right side? I'm pretty sure. And that's based on her position, the way she's laying on the bed? hmm So what are you saying? She'd be laying on her left side with the right side of her head up? Yeah. Really after that happened, what did you do then? my wrist right right after that mm-hmm. so your intentions were all along you were going to die too well i mean
1: yeah i didn't want to have to i mean i don't want i
0: didn't want to have to go to prison mm-hmm. so after you cut your wrists... by the way how did you cut them what with you know uh reasonably. and was that readily available there or you didn't have to drive to walmart to buy that i assume yeah, I,
1: I hung some I hung some hooks up in my room and I had the toolbox right there. And uh it was just right there. And it was just
0: somehow convenient. So how soon after uh you killed her did you cut your wrists? Estimate? A couple of minutes. In the same room or did you go in another room? Yeah. Same, same room. room. I walked around the house a little bit, letting them drip. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, did you call your parents?
1: Yeah, I had them come pick me up and take me to the hospital. Um, And my plan all along was to call the police. As soon as I got there, I asked for a police officer. Mm -hmm. Did you tell your parents what you did? When I called my mom, I told her to, you know, come and get me. Basically, I called her... um, because, you know, the house is really close to the hospital. I could have just walked. Yeah, right. Um, I called her because I wanted her to take my dog to make sure that she was taken care of.
5: So, you know, I told her, I got to go to the hospital and we got to
1: load Kendra and my daughter up at the same time. And she goes, why, what's up? I go, just, I got to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, when you get here, you probably don't want to come inside. She goes, why, what's up? I go, you just probably stay outside. Or I told her I did something bad, actually. Okay. Um, and then she, you know, she came up to the door and she saw blood, which was all my blood. Mm. And she... I was there, she kept asking where it was, and I kept trying to stop her from going into the bedroom, but she did. Oh, she did? Yeah, and she saw her. And then what did she say to you? I don't remember. She was just like, what the hell did you do? You know, nobody... She asked me why I did it. I said You know, I told her what I told you and Mm -hmm. she's like doesn't mean like anybody deserves to die and like yeah. I
0: know. But too late now. How do you feel right now about Would you take it? Would you take it back if you could? Now, be honest with me because I feel that like you're conflicted a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean,
1: if the same thing happened again, like if it was any other circumstance, and the same thing happened, I I don't know. You might have. You might do it again or whatever. I mean, well, I, you know, I might, but
3: I might not. It's striking how aware he is of what he did and that he's sort of holding on to his decision.
2: It's a, There's a righteousness to it. Right. And a complete lack of remorse is really says a lot about his character, I think.
3: Like he's still mad that he discovered that text message. It feels in a way, like this whole interview, it feels like he's still taking it personally, almost as if she's still around. Yeah, was this a big guy?
0: I mean, he's an
4: average-looking male, mm-hmm. five seven, hundred fifty pounds. He's not uh, he's not overly clean-cut, but he's not dirty.
2: And what about Lynn? Uh,
4: she is outgoing and ambitious, and very. Uh, she's doing all sorts of things. She's got the horse that she's taken care of. She's got the job at the stable where the horse is. Um, very involved with her family. Um, after meeting her family during this case, they are extraordinary people. Uh, her dad is um, one of those gentle souls that uh, I can't imagine ever seeing him upset. Like, he just takes information in stride. And, of course, this is a devastating situation. But the family handled everything with class. Uh, her mother I still am in contact with. Mm. She's an amazing woman. And
5: um, oh, that kills me.
4: it's just a great, great family. Nice I hate to say normal people, but these are normal people. There's a lot of times in our world where we're not dealing, we're dealing with the fringes of society, not just regular people that you would pass in a supermarket. It's not always that our our victims or, the, or their families are sympathetic. This is one of those cases where they, they absolutely are. And, I, you know, that may sound horrible, but it's true, you know.
2: You mean where we would be sympathetic towards them because they're yes, just lovely, upstanding folks. You deal with a lot of drug addicts and people, people who, who... have
4: victimized others in the past as well, and now they're victimized. And, you know, we still work the case the same way. Sure. Uh, with fervor and diligence. Um, but it's, you know, I, I'm struck by after this homicide, I... I talked to Dave and said, you know, what what was it like standing there? I mean, I know I know the feelings that I get cuz I've seen the pictures and I know how I felt and I remember him telling me how he felt.
5: Which is what, you guys?
4: Just sad? Yeah. You know, there's I've been to death scenes before where um you just you know, at some point in your career when you see seen enough dead bodies uh, either natural causes or getting hit by a car or a car wreck, or, you know, traumatic deaths like this one. Uh, you kind of go through a range of emotions, but at some point, it's you're looking down and it's a job and you just got to deal with it. There's other sh- situations um, like this one where you're looking down, you just feel sad. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Come on, dude. Like, you just threw a temper tantrum and just destroyed it, you know, a dozen lives in the process because he was upset about something because he didn't get his way. She couldn't defend herself verbally. She just, it was a cowardly act. Right. He ambushed her. And now I think about it, I'm, it pisses me off. Sure. It's like, deal with some adversity, learn how to work through your feelings, but picking up a baseball bat and hitting somebody while they're asleep, that's such a cowardly act.
5: What? What is his deal? You know, does he have mental illness? Was he on drugs?
4: I don't want... Any anyone to feel like this guy just went crazy one night and, and had a baseball bat? I the best way to describe it is he had a temper tantrum because he didn't get his way. The way I you know and I, from an outsider's view, I mean I've got inside information because of my profession, but I wasn't involved in this investigation. And I just look at it from the, my angle. Is I think he realized that she was the best thing that was ever going to happen to him, and the fact that she was leaving. It was just too much for him.
3: When Lynn's mother, Sydney, heard that we were covering this case, she offered to speak to us about what it was like from her perspective and some of the red flags she noted along the way over the course of Lynn and Alan's relationship. And it's a really powerful perspective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think incredibly gracious of her to also speak about the enormity of the loss. I I think it's something that we shy away from often in our culture, talking about grief. And she has some really salient things to say about that.
6: Right. Her friend texts her happy birthday. And I believe we were, she saw me later that day. And she was glowing, she was vibrant, she was excited. She was a whole new person. I had watched her just shut down. Um, She always had a very spontaneous smile and laugh and just kind of up for everything. And that was all going away. And I brought that up with her. or previously and then I said take a really close look at yourself right now you are vibrant you're happy you haven't been this way in many months and you just really need to take a look at this um, difference between how you feel with you know, your friend recontacting you and Alan's Dragging you down, and I also suggested that Lynn tell Ellen that uh her friend was back in touch, and they were talking because I knew Ellen would be furious, and she chose not to, and feeling like you know uh, she just didn't want to confront she didn't want the confrontation sure. stir the water, yeah. Boiled the pot. (laughs) And so they met for coffees and long talks. And uh, eventually, on October 18th, uh, Alan was getting really drunk, and Lynn was pretty shut down. And he would not leave her alone until she told him what was the matter. And uh the basic thing was uh, I can't live with you anymore. That's what Lynn needed to say to Alan. That's what she said to him. And I'm I'm going to go live at mom's. And he got raging, raging angry and they did a lot of jigsaw puzzles and he threw that all over. He flipped the jigsaw puzzle Uh, table, things flying everywhere. He threw a beer at her. He threw his computer into the wall. Um, He broke beer bottles that were all over the place, beer cans. He just trashed the place, and he picked up the aluminum baseball bat and put four or five holes in the wall and the front door, the inside of the front door, and Lynn and I had been texting kind of through this, and she was very upset. And she said, you have to be here now. And I just, I <laughs> broke this beat limit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You know, I a 15-minute drive, I was there <laughs> in 10. I just walked in. The front screen door was kind of ripped off. Um, I walked in to this just hurricane had gone through the house and she was shaking so violently and she Lynn felt like she needed to pick up and clean up and and that's what you do when you're in shock you just kind of you know and i comforted her as much as i could and Lynn no this is his mess you leave it alone and come home with me And Lynn got in the car. We left her car there. And she got in the truck with me. And we drove home. And she got in bed with me, just like when she was a little girl. And she cried for hours. And this is going to get me. She kept repeating how she had ruined his life. And that's all she could She was just, like, so devastated that she had hurt him. And I, and all I could say was, and how many times has Alan hurt you and driven you into the ground and made you feel worthless? So you have so much more going for you than staying with this man that has no respect for you. And so um, she brightened up pretty darn quick and she in her <laughs> <laughs> and her friend that was back in town, they they were spending a lot of time together and um, she she was having a good time. So, because I
2: think it would be really helpful and um, certainly enlightening for our audience to hear, you know, what is it like to get that call and then how do you go forward? Where does it reside in your heart and your mind? I
6: got a knock on the door at four o'clock in the morning and I go bouncing in my bathrobe out to the door because I think Lynn forgot her key or something. So that's who I expected to see at the door. And it was uh, an officer from this police department. Um, There were two officers and I let them come in and I had, it was just coming over me, this sense of dread, this is not good. And so the officer confirmed that I was Lynn's mother, and her name, and my name, and uh, and then he said, "Lynn is dead," flat out, just straightforward, just like that. And I just, I just about fell over, and um, I said, "So." you don't cushion it in any way. And he said, no, we can't have any doubt. Um, If we say she passed or she's gone, then people wanna ask, what did she pass? Where did she go? So they straight out, and I believe it was very hard for him. But he stayed with me and asked me some questions in the living room. And I had an employee who was separating and divorcing her husband. And she and her little girl were living with me at the time. And she came out with her little girl who was a toddler and kept me company while the officer was there. And I'm I'm really grateful that I had someone with me. And my head was just spinning, and I, I had these cramps in my body. And it was an awful lot like being in labor again.
2: Sydney, you said some really insightful things about grief at dinner the other night. Would you mind speaking to that again?
6: Grief... I've found, has no timeline at all. And the day she died, a counselor that I'd seen in the past found out from a mutual friend and contacted me. And I had an immediate lifeline to ground me from feeling like I was just going to fly off into space. And I had my dearest friends and family came to town i I just had such support and compassion from everyone and we organized I didn't do anything. I was a mess and my best friend and my sister uh, organized a memorial for Lynn and hundreds of people showed up and They're still in my life and her friends are still in my life and I call them my army of love because they let me talk about her as much as I want and I want to talk about her a lot, all the time. Things remind me of her and I just... It's a way of honoring her and keeping her with me always, which I feel at times anyway, and especially at the barn with the horses. And it's it's so important that the people around me have let me talk and talk and talk about Lynn as, as just as much as I need to. And what about your feelings toward Alan? Well, he could, as far as I'm concerned, just rot in the prison where he is.
3: Also at dinner, you'd said something about this concept of forgiveness that I found
6: to be quite striking. I'd like to ask your opinion about that. (laughs) Well, uh, I find that I am contrary to... The societal concept that forgiveness is for the wounded, the victim, to forgive the perpetrator. It's for me to release and, and move on, whatever that means. I don't think I'll ever move on from my daughter's death, and I don't need to forgive the person that permanently took her away from me and her dad and her friends and her horse. I don't need to forgive this person. Uh, I think the concept of forgiveness and moving on is something our culture has come up with to avoid talking about the hard facts of death and death of a loved one. And we should not turn away from our loved ones and move on. We we are not obligated to do that. Is there anything that you feel
3: compelled to share with listeners who may be in similar situations that Lynn was in or that you were in as mother to Lynn? Or anything in general, people who may be suffering from loss as
6: a loss of a child, as a parent. As far as losing Lynn, I can't help coming back to what more could I have done. And through counseling, I don't believe that I could have done any more if she had told me that she was meeting Alan for dinner. Of course, that would have changed everything. And of course, Lynn didn't because she felt she could handle it. She didn't want to hear mom. And there were red flags. And I felt that it was so important to be honest with Lynn through the process and still be supportive so that she didn't feel she had to choose between me and Alan. The grief... Um, back to the grief, um, which never goes away. There are good days, um, more good days than bad days, but the grief never goes away. Lynn should be turning 30 this year, and that's such a milestone, and yet she's not going to be here for it. And I had already heard um, in domestic intimate partner relationships that the leaving is the most dangerous time and I think about that and that's where I kind of dwell on what more could I have done. She had such an impact for such a young woman. I I am in awe of my daughter.
2: Several months after the murder, this case was brought to trial. Allen took the witness stand in his own defense and tried to attribute his actions to extreme emotional disturbance. The jury soundly rejected this and found him guilty of murder. He was sentenced to 25 years to life.
3: Small Town Dicks is produced by Zibby Allen and Yardley Smith for Paperclip Limited, with editing from Logan Heftel, Billy Florio, Yardley, and Zibby.
2: Music for the show was composed by John Forrest. If you like what you hear,
3: please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts.
2: And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Smalltown Dicks. Also, visit our website, smalltowndicks.com, for more information and to leave questions and comments for the team.